Well, it's great to be at NBBI again. It's always a pleasure to come to the campus and uh, meet with you as students and the staff and always look forward to it. For years, I was known as Mr. Sandy Cove around here. For almost 20 years, I was known as Mr. Sandy Cove. The reason they called me that is nobody could remember my name, so it was easier to just call me that. Somebody else has taken over that title now, so... Uh, and he's the coffee drinker in the back, but uh, Dennis is here with us this morning, and of course most of you know him pretty well. Um, my mind goes back to a chapel in 1966 that uh, we had under this building over here where the old chapel was. Ted White was then the, um, they called him superintendent for the Maritimes of CSSM. And he got up and spoke about the great need for workers in the province of Newfoundland. That very morning, my heart was touched by the Spirit of God, and that was a, a possibility for future ministry for me. That was my senior year here. Uh, that day, I was praying, Lord, if, if you want me to go, if you want me in this work and in this ministry, uh, you have to send someone into my life that's also interested in the same ministry. I had a girlfriend at the time, but that wasn't what I was thinking. Um, because I wasn't quite ready for marriage yet. <laughs> and, uh, well, she wasn't quite ready for marriage yet. Let's be honest, okay? <laughs> and so uh, it's okay laugh if anything funny happens here. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, I sat there and I prayed. Later that day, I was talking with a fellow student, Ken Ockenpaw, and we got talking, and we both had, had the same experience. Ken had felt God calling him, too. And so the two of us raised her hand as volunteers to work with CSSM Ministries, and that was the beginning of it back those many years ago. I didn't really end up in Newfoundland. I ended up in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Then I worked there a few years, went to Sandy Cove for a few years, so on, a number of different places. But I have been to Newfoundland on a number of occasions to minister uh, in vacation Bible schools and various other ways, and my heart is there. And at the time that the call went out for workers in Newfoundland. CSSM had at least three couples working full-time over there. Today, we only have one couple. So the need is just as great as it ever was, and the workers are fewer. And so my heart is a burden for that province, and uh, my goal as a provincial director for CSSM is to try to see that we find somebody to fill the role over there um, sometime soon. I just want to mention briefly, uh, Russ and Lori Smith, they work in the St. John's area, and they are tent makers. They work hard all winter to pay the bills so they can leave all summer and go out in ministry, and they do it largely alone. They go out and do vacation Bible schools for a few weeks, then they're off to have their camps in the St. John's area, and they do that for about four weeks. I've been in conversation with them and asked them if they could use uh, a team of two workers, a couple of girls or a couple of guys, to come over and help them this coming summer. And they said most assuredly they would be interested in that. So I'm laying that out for you, as it was laid out for me so many years ago, uh, to hear what the Holy Spirit would say to you as far as a ministry opportunity to go and work in day camps and vacation Bible schools in the wonderful province of Newfoundland. If you've never been there, it's a great experience. Uh, just the trip alone is something to stand up and shout about. The beauty is uh, unequaled, I think. Um, it's rugged, it's different, but it's a wonderful place to, to be and to serve, and the people are wonderful people to, 
to serve as well. Um, open, hospitable, wonderful people. So maybe God would lay that on your heart. That's my burden this morning, and I want to share my burden with you. And I, I have a verse, if you don't mind, I'd like to leave with you. It's Psalm 141 and verse 3, and I read it in my devotions this morning. And it is this, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, and keep the door of my lips. And with my little weird imagination, I just pictured a little padlock, hasp, and a key over our lips because so many times we say things in haste or in anger or unthinkingly, and we need the Holy Spirit to apply a virtual padlock over our mouths sometimes. And how many times I almost said something and then afterwards said, thank you, Lord, for keeping my mouth shut. We need to look for that from time to time. God bless you. Ian? Like you said, my name is Ian Tupper. I'm uh, the director of seasonal staffing and paintball ministries at Hampton Bible Camp. Um, I'm going to be honest. I was, go- I was going to get up here and I was going to try to convince everybody that God wants you at Hampton Bible Camp this summer. That was my goal. I don't know that. I, what I want to do is I want to show you a video. It kind of gives you an idea of who we are as a camp. For the sake of time, I'll just kind of give you a really brief we are looking for ca- cabin counselors. We are looking for, I need a, a lifeguard for the summer. I'm going to need someone to look after horses. And more specifically, I need people that are going to be able to spiritually oversee a group of, of young people who are working with horses. Um, I'm going to need a maintenance guy. I'm going to need, so there's a bunch of different needs there. Please, if you have any interest in working in camp ministry this summer and you don't have any idea where God will, would have you, please talk to me afterwards. I'm going to be here for just a few minutes after the, uh, after the chapel. i got to head home. It's Valentine's Day. I've got, a, I've got a date tonight with my wife, so I promised her I'd be home in a decent hour. So I'll be, home, I'll be around for just a few minutes afterwards. I'd love to talk to you guys. Uh, I'm on Facebook. You can look me up, Ian Tupper. Uh, I'd love to, to talk to you about the possibilities and just kind of see where, where God would have you um, and see whether it's a, it's a good fit for you guys this summer. So I'll show the video and then we'll get right into God's word. So. All right. I guess I'll just share really quickly. Um, my passion and the, what called me to this ministry is I have a strong desire to see young people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to see them grow in their faith, to see them mature in their faith, to see them, them go from being dead to being alive in Christ, to see them actively involved in, in the body of Christ, to see them ministering for God and see God use them in incredible ways. And I've seen that in camp. And I've seen that throughout the, the, the few years that I've been there, how God changes lives through the ministry there. Um, really briefly, I, I praise her up all the time. She's a good friend of, of mine. Um, she's become like a sister to my wife. She is, she's from a, a background where her, her mother is a professing Catholic, has 
I wouldn't say exactly a practicing Catholic, but she's a professing Catholic. Her father's an alcoholic and doesn't want to have anything to do with God. So there was no church background whatsoever. She comes to camp and came to camp every year as, you know, from the time she was just a kid. She got saved at camp. She was one of these kids, and I believe, if Becca knows who I'm talking about, she was a kid that nobody actually wanted in her cabin. Yeah, yeah. She, she was one of these kids that just, she was obnoxious and she was, yeah. Nobody wanted her in her cabin. But what happened was she got, she got saved when she was a kid. She loved camp. She kept coming back. She got to a point in her life where she was old enough that she could start volunteering to work in the kitchen. She started volunteering to work in the kitchen. And the first summer I was, I was there, my wife and I were there. Uh, first weekend we were there, the um, workers' training week. I think it was like day two, day three. Something clicked in her brain. And I remember her coming to us and saying, look, I've never done devotions before. I've never, you know, I, I, I have no idea how, how to even start. Do you want to help me with that? So I had an opportunity to sit down with her and give her some passages of Scripture and, and say, look, take these into your room. I want you to read them. I want you to, you know, just think about them, answer some questions. We'll talk about it in the morning. And we did that most of the summer. And she was asking question after question after question. By the end of the summer, she was like, we were talking hours and hours on end, her and my wife and I, and she was asking questions. And she, it was, it's funny because her attention spans like this. But, so she would ask a question and I would start to answer it and she would off to, be off to another, uh, another question. And what's happened is she, is she is growing incredibly in her faith. She is coming out to our youth group now on a consistent basis. Uh, she's even coming out to church some which has been a, it's been a gradual process, but she's getting there. She's actually, and she's in grade 11 this year. She's planning on coming to MBBI the year after next when she graduates high school. This is, a, again, a kid who has had no spiritual background whatsoever, and her life has been changed through the ministry of, of Hampton Bible Camp. And we see these kids every single week. There are kids that are hurting. There are kids that are lost. There are kids that that have no idea what love is. And we have an opportunity to show them the greatest love in the world, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to get through this message. <laughs> but I'll give you really quickly. Um, in Numbers chapter 13, uh, we find this very familiar story. Um, we find after the, the children of Israel had been... Uh, God had, had delivered them out of Egypt. He sent them on this journey towards the promised land, towards Canaan. And in Numbers chapter 13, we find them, and they're standing essentially right on the doorstep. They're standing in Kadesh Barnea. They're, they can see uh, you know, Canaan off in the distance. They're right there and right to, you know, about to experience all that God had for them, all that God had wanted for them, the promised land, the, the land that God promised Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and continued to promise to, the, to their descendants. He's standing there. They're standing there. They're looking at, at Canaan, and they devise this plan because essentially they get gung-shy, right? They, they get cold feet, and they, they devise this plan, and they were going to send 12 spies into the land. From a military perspective, that was a good idea. From a human perspective, perfect. Okay, sure, go scout out the land, see what's going on, see what the enemy's like, see what the walls are like, see what kind of defenses they have. The problem was, it wasn't really God's plan. God allowed it. God told them to do it after they had come to, come to him and said, you know, we'd really like to do this. He allowed it. God does that to teach us lessons at times. But the point is, it was their land. Okay, It was their land. All they had to do was go and possess it. 
We come to Numbers chapter 13, verse, uh, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up uh, with him said, We will not be able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the, the land which they had searched into the children, uh, unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone uh, to search it, it is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came from the giants. And we were in their sights, or we were in our own sights as grasshoppers, and so we were in theirs. So the report that these, that these spies brought back was, it is an incredible land. It is the, exactly as God described it. You know, it, it was beautiful. It was a land that, that flowed with milk and honey. It was so great that they actually brought grapes back, and they, the grapes were so big that they had to, uh, it took two people to, to walk it in, right? Like they were holding between a, a, a stick as they were walking through the, it was an incredible land. And all of the spies came back with this, the, this report that it's exactly the way God, wants, God had described it. So two of them said, let's go in, let's go get it, let's, let's take it, let's you know, praise God for what he's given us, and let's go in. But the ten of them said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. There are giants in the land. There are obstacles. There, there, are, there are people there that are stronger than we are. And despite what some of our hymns and some of our songs want us to believe, I, I personally, I don't believe that, that Canaan is a picture of heaven. And the reason for that is there are no giants in heaven. There's no fights in heaven. There's no battles in heaven. I, I like how Warren Worsby says it. He says, Canaan is a picture of the inheritance God has planned for each of his children today. The work he wants us to do and the place where he wants us to occupy. The Apostle Paul calls it, Good works, which God prepared beforehand for, for us to walk in them. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. God has a will for your life. And I believe Canaan represents living within that will. And experiencing all that God has for you. Experiencing uh, being the, the person that God wants you to be. In the place God wants you to be. Doing the things that God wants you to do. That's what it means to be in Canaan. It's interesting that most of the Israelites missed it, right? You know the rest of the story? Most of the Israelites never got to experience Canaan. Why? Because they failed to see God for who God is, and they failed to see themselves in the way God sees them. And I think this is one of the, if not the, leading factors in why so many Christians can go their entire lives and never experience Canaan. We fail to see God for who God is, and we fail to see ourselves for who we are in Christ. Again, Numbers chapter 13, verse 32 says, And we brought up an evil report of the land which they had, uh, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land which, uh, through which uh, we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up its inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it were men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of Anak, which came from the giants, and, they were, and we were in our own sights as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sights. The legendary coach, Newt Rockney, 
who coached Notre Dame football for, for many years. The story is told that uh, they were about to, uh, to face uh, US, USC, who was far superior than they were. It was a game that Notre Dame was not supposed to win. And the coach in his, in his genius decided he was going to uh, employ a slightly unique tactic. He was going to go on campus and he was going to find the biggest guys he could possibly find. Didn't care whether they were football players. He went, he went to search for the biggest guys possible. And he suited them up for that game. So USC was on the field and they were, they were warming up. And just at the time, just before the game was about to start, Notre Dame runs onto the field, making as much noise as possible. 150 of the biggest guys you've ever seen starts running onto the field. Well, USC was defeated at that point. They stopped everything they were doing. They saw the Green Giants running onto the field, and they were intimidated. They were scared. Despite the fact that the USC coach tried to, to encourage them and remind them that, look, only 11 people can play at any given time, they were done. Why? Because they took their eye off of what it was supposed to be on. They took their eyes off the game and started focusing on the enemy. And when they started focusing on the enemy, they started focusing on themselves, and compared to, compared to their opponents, they were weak. Compared to their opponent, opponents, they were, they were feeble. Compared to the giants, they were grasshoppers. What did the nation of Israel have to be afraid of? God had covered it, right? Instead of focusing on the greatness of God, they got distracted by the giants and began to focus on themselves. Compared to the giants, they were grasshoppers. They were weak. They were feeble. When they looked at the enemy and compared the enemy to themselves, the task of defeating the enemy became impossible. And it didn't take long for them to convince the crowd. In Numbers chapter 14, we find that the, the nation of Israel, they get together and they start complaining and you know, they say, wouldn't it be better if we just died in the wilderness? Why would God bring us here and so we can just die here? Why, why didn't he just leave us in Egypt and just have us die in Egypt? And then they devise this plan and this brilliant plan. We're going we're gonna to appoint a leader and we're going you know, to get the leader to bring us back into Egypt. What were they thinking? Like, seriously? This is, uh, this is so comical to me. Like, after everything that happened in Egypt, what do you, what do you suppose would happen if they just walked back in and said, uh, Pharaoh, we're sorry? <laughs> it's just so unlo- uh, Yeah, anyways. So here, here's their plan. They're going to go back into Egypt. God never failed to provide for them. The entire way, despite the fact that Israel complained time and time and time again, God never failed to provide for them. He was faithful to them every step of the way. So when they got to Kadesh Barnea, when they were on the verge of experiencing all that God had for them, the, the, the promises that God made for them, the, the rest and the joy and, and everything else that God had in store for them, when they were on the verge of that, instead of facing the giants, instead of tackling those tasks, the, you know, fighting those battles that are difficult, they thought it was easier just to stay where they were or, or turn and go back to where they were. How often in our own lives have we, have we been there? 
where God is calling us to something. We know God is calling us to something. We, God has placed something on our hearts, and we're so convinced that this, you know, we just have this burden for something. And we look at ourselves instead of looking to God, and we say, I can't do it. I can't do that. Someone else has better do that, because look, I, there's no way I'm, I'm capable of that. And we get comfortable where we are. And for some of us, even, we decided was, we were better off where we were before. We start looking at ourselves and our own weaknesses, right? That's what, that's what Israel did. And then we start looking at and saying, well, everyone else must see the same thing. Israel said, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in theirs. How did they know that? How did they know that everyone else looked at them like grasshoppers? Did they walk through the streets of Canaan, and people were coming up to them, you know, left, right, and center, and saying, no, you guys look like grasshoppers? No. But see, it's the way they saw themselves. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Through Christ, all things are possible. It doesn't matter what your history, it doesn't matter how, how many times you've failed in the past. With faith and trust in the one who is able, you are able to do anything. You are able to do anything God has called you to do. Yes, if we face the giants in our lives, whatever they might be, in our own strength, we will fail. And we will get frustrated. And we will feel like giving up. But if we were ever to experience a victorious Christian life, if we were ever going to experience life in the, uh, with God in the center of his will, then we need to get past this whole grasshopper mentality that so many of us have. The way we overcome the grasshopper mentality is to remember who we are, whose we are, and where your power comes from. Who are you? You are a precious creation of Almighty God made in His image. Whose are you? If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are an adopted child of God, having been ransomed through the sacrificial death of Jesus on a cross. Where does your power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit planted in your heart when you first trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Paul reminded us that God did not give us the spirit of fear but of the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. The cure for the grasshopper complex is not to psych ourselves into pretending that we are Superman or pretending that we are Superwoman. Can I finish? <laughs> if you have no resources apart from yourselves, then you are grasshopper. But you're not on your own, are you? Almighty God is our refuge and strength. We are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. What challenge are you backing away from because you doubt you are adequate? What would you attempt tomorrow if you were sure that God would help you? What has God placed upon your heart but you have been reluctant because it's too hard. 
It's, it's not logical. We can't put it together in our brain to make it, make it make sense. It's too dangerous, perhaps. You know, you can't afford it. We can give so many excuses to not do what God has planned, or God, or God wants us to do. We can give so many different excuses, but the bottom line is this. You may not have the resources, but God does. When we take our eyes off of ourselves and focus them on the one who has infinite resources, then we realize if he has good works for us to do, right? If he has a purpose and a plan for our lives, if he has things that he wants us to accomplish, if he has people that he wants us to meet, if he has people that he wants us to share the gospel with, if he wants us to, 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 to be a certain place and do certain things, then guess what? He's going to give us the resources to be able to do it. And we're not looking at ourselves anymore. We're not basing it on our own experiences on how we would deal with things because we're dealing with God here. And God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. So guys, let me leave you this. Let me challenge you with this. God is able to do far more with your lives than you ever dreamed possible. God is able to do far more. Trust Him. Step out in faith and claim the victory that He wants you to have. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we thank You and praise You for this morning. I thank You for, I thank you for the fact that You love us. And for the fact that You are concerned with us. That, that You are interested in our lives. And Lord, that You saved us for a reason. You have a purpose and a plan for our lives. You have people that you want us to be. You have characteristics and, and, and values and, and morals and everything else that you want to instill in us. You want us to be like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, you have places for us to go. You have things you want us to do. Both in the short term and the long term. God, I pray that each and every one of us, myself included, would stop looking at ourselves. Stop looking at our own limitations and stop convincing ourselves that the tasks are impossible, that the giants are too big. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and start focusing on you, who is able to do far more, who is able to do anything. All things are possible through you. Lord, help us to trust you. And may we see you do big things, incredible things in and through our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.